0: While well, that uh, video was obviously geared for an American obvi- audience, I think we all remember this past Wednesday was the 18th anniversary of that horrific attack on the Twin Towers. That Tuesday, September 11, 2001 was a day that not only changed America, but it changed the world. And uh, as neighbors and allies of the U.S., we in Canada have been, yeah, hugely impacted by the evil of that day. And as I reflect back on that day and and how the world has changed since that day, I am struck by the fact that humans cannot accomplish evil on such a massive scale all on their own. This past summer, uh, I did some heavy reading, and one of the books I read, or actually I'm still trying to get through, was written by a Nova Scotian Mi'kmaq, Daniel Paul, called we Were Not the Savages, Collision Between European and Native American Civilization. It's not a book most of you are going to rush to read, but uh, it's a very tough and unsettling book to read. And, and I just wanted to write the book off as being extremely slanted and prejudiced against white Europeans, except that the book is just chock full of original letters and documents written by white Europeans that are just simply shocking to read. As some of you know, I, I like exploring my ancestry a bit, and as I've told you, I'm like 80% Irish, yeah, and uh, that's through the Doyles coming through Newfoundland, but on my grandmother's side, the uh, Russells, we landed in Nova Scotia first, and that line is a bit more of a mixed bag. It's also mostly Irish as well, but Northern Protestant Irish instead of Southern Catholic Irish, there's a, a Scottish line, and there's a, a Nova Scotia, Micmac, Métis line in me. So I'm reading about the incredibly brutal treatment of the Mi'kmaq, the, the price that got put on Mi'kmaq sculpts, I mean the price that got put on taking their lives by the British, the total displacement and near extermination of the Mi'kmaq civilization in Nova Scotia, and as well as the extermination and starvation of the Bethuca Mi'kmaq in Newfoundland. And I'm reading the actual brutal orders that caused a lot of this that were issued by the British and I'm gripped by just how dark human beings can become. And as I'm reading the very words you know, written by my white European ancestors and what they did, it struck me again that humans cannot accomplish evil on such a massive scale all on their own the city that I used to serve in, Thunder Bay, at the head of Lake Superior, it has become a major portal for the human sex trade, for human sex trafficking, where women and girls, particularly Aboriginal girls and women, are loaded on ships and sent out slaves for the sex trade worldwide. And I'm shaking my head and going, this is Canada. And this is where my daughter and son-in-law live. I mean, Jane and I lived here. And human trafficking for sex, how can that happen? And I'll say it again. Humans cannot accomplish evil on such a massive scale all on their own. As we start a new series today called Fight, I want to start with the big picture where the writers of the Hebrew and Christian scriptures, what we call the Bible, tell us the story of a cosmic battle of unseen principalities and powers at work. The writers of the Bible tell us that God created the powers, what we would call supernatural powers, but that sin and rebellion have turned some of those powers that were created into powers that do evil. And what happens is people, ordinary people like you and me, um, sometimes we surrender ourselves to these evil powers and do unthinkable things. How do you explain the systematic neglect and abuse of children in our world? or or the tragedy of missing and murdered aboriginal women in our country the slave trade not just of years ago but that still exists today broken families, addiction, and just the horrific mess you see worldwide except to say that some pretty dark powers are at work here's how the Apostle Paul puts it finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. There are powers at work that are beyond what we normally see. They are real. And they have influence, worldwide influence. And they have influence on you, me, and the people we live and work with every day. There is more going on than meets the eye in your home, throughout our city, and really right around the world. Now when you read the New Testament part of the Bible, and- That's where I recommend you start. The New Testament is where Christians hang out. The Old Testament gives us lots of background stuff that's good to know. It's God-inspired. But the New Testament is where we mostly hang out and we read the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, just to learn more about the New Testament, the Christian Scriptures. So as you're reading the New Testament, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as well as the book of Acts, As you read the New Testament, we we see routine, I mean routine encounters between Jesus, his apostles, with demonic forces. And and many of these New Testament encounters, we see the liberating power of the Holy Spirit at work. We, We see the Holy Spirit delivering people from the demonic. So yeah, we do see powers at work that are active agents of evil we do see that Satan and his demonic practitioners of evil are alive and well and creating havoc in our world and and even often in our homes. And at the same time, we see God at work. Right now, worldwide, the church has never experienced more persecution and more martyrs. Even in remote and not-so-remote parts of the world, Christians are just losing their lives, and churches are being burned to the ground at unprecedented numbers. Boko Haram is unrelenting in its brutality against the church in Nigeria. You'll remember back at at Easter the number of churches attacked in Sri Lanka. But then you see God at work. One of the encouraging stories coming out of the Middle East with the persecution of Christians in Iran, Iran is now home to the fastest growing uh, communities of Muslim background followers of Jesus. I mean, the strict Islamic government is trying to uh, root them out harshly. It's having little success. The church is growing in Iran. It has no buildings. It's mostly led by women. It's passionate in its devotion to Jesus and our and our church family, the Christian Missionary Alliance, is at work in some of these countries that are so harsh to Christians. But what drives that harshness? What drives that persecution are unseen principalities and powers. And those unseen principalities and powers, the work of Satan and the demonic, is not just over there somewhere. It's right here in our city. That evil power can be found at work on our streets and in our homes. I was in seminary, what is now called Tyndale in Toronto, and the dean of our seminary, my New Testament professor, and the guy who performed the wedding ceremony for Jane and me is a guy named Roy Matheson. He graduated with a doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, that'll mean nothing to most of you, but it was a seminary that at the time taught that we shouldn't expect to see much of the supernatural today. That the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit were just for the apostles to help get the church started. It's a theology called cessationism. It teaches that the supernatural gifts of the Spirit ceased after the Bible was established. Some of you come from churches that still teach that, although fewer and fewer churches are doing that today. So my prof and seminary dean, who had had the supernatural trained out of them, found that sometimes what was going on with people was just not normal, was, was just beyond explainable, and, and was really dark and darkly supernatural. That some people were actually wrestling with the demonic, something that he was uh, taught to absolutely dismiss. But this Dallas grad ended up developing what we would call a deliverance ministry. Really, it was a very simple prayer ministry to help people find supernatural freedom, freedom from dark forces that were at work in their lives. And while he was teaching seminary, uh, he ended up becoming a pastor of this Baptist church near Toronto where the people in this church had got so angry at each other and so vicious in their attacks of each other that there were lawsuits and all sorts of things like that. I mean, these folks were amped up about each other, so much so that this church fight made the front page of the Toronto Star the largest newspaper in Canada. Awesome. I mean, it was nasty, so nasty that it became citywide news, right? See how those Christians love one another. Front page, Toronto Star, yes. And when Roy went there to be a healing and reconciling pastor at this devastated church, he encountered more than what he bargained for. More was going on than the human eye could see. Evil was deeply at work in the lives of those good church-attending Christians, and they were good church-attending Christians who were fighting for how they wanted church to be done and then suing those who thought differently. It was mean, vicious, dark. Something more than just bad human behavior was at work. I asked Roy in class one day how a Dallas Seminary boy raised to discount the supernatural ended up with the reputation of being a Baptist pastor with a powerful prayer ministry leading people to freedom and deliverance. And he said, well, what I was taught just wasn't working. So I went back to the Bible, I read it again, and I realized all I was seeing was just what was there in the bible already it was really simple and he went on there's just lots of supernatural stuff in the bible good and bad you just can't explain it away especially when you see it right in front of your face there's another seminary professor who's influenced me his name is craig keener at asbury seminary in kentucky and this academic bible genius writes this in one of his books in 2008 I experienced an abrupt, extreme, and unrelenting spiritual attack for two days. It made no sense in my immediate context. On the third day, I was recovering, and my wife, son David, and I went for a walk. We paused under a tree that was some three stories tall, and within moments after we stepped out from under it, the tree suddenly split from the bottom without uprooting, and it crashed where we were standing. Because of the tree's wide structure, all three of us would have been crushed to death then information reached us from the Congo uh, soon after this event that made it clear to us that this was a direct and deliberate spiritual attack from which God had contrib- uh, had protected us uh, some people of spiritual discernment who they knew in the Congo sent them a message that helped them understand what had just happened and yet they didn't know what had just happened one of those amazing things right but how many in our world where you work on your street they'll say oh that was just pure luck That was just a random event uh, at a random time for a random family. But when you see the world through the eyes of the Holy Spirit who fills us, when you understand that the truth is there is a battle going on in the unseen world that manifests itself in our seen world, you will understand that demonic powers were at work, and thankfully, thankfully, so is the power Spirit of God. One more story, a bit more personal, but let me first give you some background and thoughts before I get to my story. One of the areas where you can expect the evil one uh, to work and the demonic to work is when you're considering whether or not you're going to become a Christ follower, whether uh, you're going to become a Christian or just after you become a Christian. The evil one does not want you lining up with God and his church. Hey. It's possible you're here today, and you really couldn't call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus with a clean conscience, but you you can feel a general tug in that direction. It's why you're here today, and if that's you, i got to let you in on some challenging news, okay? Satan is not about to sit idly by and let you drift into the family of God. Here's what he's up to. The Apostle Paul describes this. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. In other words, Satan deliberately blinds the minds of unbelievers. Do you understand what the words of Paul mean here? It means that Satan deliberately clouds the vision of people who are considering Jesus so that they just can't grasp what the essence of Christianity is all about. And many of you know exactly, you you just, you know what I'm talking about. You know that almost every time you're ready to fall on your knees and admit that you need Jesus, believe him, ask him to forgive your sin and commit to following him, something comes to your mind that causes you to hold back, right? same deal with baptism when you realize in baptism and coming to jesus they're they're closely connected and and when you decide that you want to go public with your faith same deal right some doubt of some kind comes to mind maybe one that you settled long ago it it gets resurrected mysteriously a a fear of the future a a, a wondering if it will be worth it a a caution flag an anxiety about uh, what your friends are going to think uh, a negative image or a memory will come to your mind. And the second that obstacle comes to your mind, you postpone your decision to follow Jesus. You, you say no to baptism. How many of you can relate to that? For some people, this goes on for months and in some cases years. You, you should know that Satan, the evil one, is doing everything in his power to cloud your vision, to, to trouble your spirit, to, to cause you to hang back. you you deserve to know that there's a battle being fought in the spirit world over your decision to become a Christian and quite frankly Satan is not going to surrender easily in Matthew's account of the life of Jesus there's the story of a rich young ruler the rich young ruler is checking Jesus out he knows that he's not a believer yet and and he knows that he needs to take a step of some sort and Jesus he, he makes a step really clear to him it's either your money or me it's earthly gain or heavenly gain. It's, it's one or the other. Make a choice. And I know. I know that the Holy Spirit was urging him to make a choice to commit to Christ, urging him to say, Follow Christ. Just give up what he's asking you to give up. He'll provide for you, he, he'll make you into a difference maker on, on fields that really count. He'll, he'll help you to start laying up treasures in heaven where it can be enjoyed for eternity. Don't gain the world and lose your soul. Don't do it. And as the Holy Spirit is giving all those kinds of messages, Satan is screaming in the other ear. Uh-uh, don't do it. It's a rip-off. Come on. Worldly gain beats heavenly promises. Sin beats purity. Live for the day. Forget about forever. Independence beats reliance on Christ. And so Satan is binding his eyes by just whispering in that other ear. And some of you know what happened in that story. The man walked away from eternal life so he could hang on to his trinkets and toys. And I bet that he now regrets that decision and will continue to regret that from now throughout eternity. For me personally. The battle was not so much in making a decision to follow Jesus. It came after I had really nailed that decision down. My journey with Jesus began in a grade one Roman Catholic school classroom where I had a very godly and passionate uh, Jesus follower as my teacher, and she led me to become a follower of Jesus. But after grade one, there was not a lot happening to help me get established with my faith. My, My parents were not believers, but God, he didn't forget about me. And he wanted me to get a grip on my face, so when I was about 12 years of age, a friend invited me to this Christian camp called Camp Mineoey in Muskoka, Ontario. If any of you watched The Amazing Race in Canada last Tuesday, Camp Mineoey is where season seven of The Amazing Race ends. I mean, how cool is that? Well, I think it's cool because I am a little biased. I directed that camp for a couple of years at that camp when I was a kid. I shifted from simply knowing Jesus in a personal way to becoming a deeply committed follower of Jesus, a, a spirit filled follower of Jesus. It was awesome. It was life changing. But then, as the Apostle Peter warns us, we should be self controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Those words are directed to every growing Christian. Those words are for any of you today who consider yourselves to be followers of Jesus. Watch out, because the devil and his demons are an unseen reality that are seeking to destroy your Christian life. And it's true. Satan's plan A for the believer is to get the believer right off of the Christian track. He'll tempt us, lie to us, deceive us, tell us that it's going to be great to fall into that ditch. Uh, If he can get us to fall into gross or spectacular forms of sin, he'll do it. Immediately after that spiritually powerful summer at camp, Satan went on the attack in my life. It was after the summer that I was entering into grade 7. I had rediscovered Jesus in a powerful way, but I left that camp with no one to follow up on my deepened commitment to Christ, and, and I returned to an unbelieving home, and I entered into a junior high that was truly a spiritual battleground. Now, I was very open and excited about my experience with God that summer, and my openness immediately attracted the attention of my homeroom teacher who worked hard at introducing me to the Jesus of the occult. He was also big into weed, but that's not central to this story. Anyways, I didn't understand what my homeroom teacher was doing at the time. He told me that he too knew Jesus and that he wanted to show me more actually about six of us from our class got involved in after-school seances where I saw a series of powerful signs and wonders. I could tell you fascinating story after story. Like there was this fire that we don't know how it happened on a chair and it sure didn't impress our vice principal and he never did find out how that happened. But there was this time when the Ouija board spoke prophetically into my life. No one else got a word that was as powerful from the Ouija board, but I sure did. So suffice it to say, I I saw the intoxicating power of Satan at work, and and I was sinking deeper and deeper into the trap of the occult. Satan was clearly at work attempting to derail my new and deeper commitment to follow Jesus. But God, but God, in his love and sovereignty, had another plan. By Christmas of that year, my grade 7 homeroom teacher mysteriously came down with tuberculosis and was yanked out of the classroom for the rest of the year. And everyone in the school, we all had to get inoculated against TB. And at that point, the light went on, and I knew what was going on. God yanked my homeroom teacher out of the classroom in order to protect me from the schemes of the evil one. I know that that is exactly what happened. That summer, I went back to camp, and it just so happened that the leader of my section of camp was a seminary student from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in Chicago who just coincidentally happened to have an essay with him that he wrote about what the Bible has to say about the occult. Just happened to have school papers with him at summer camp. I never brought my schoolwork to camp, even when I was a seminary student. I didn't bring my schoolwork to camp, right? And we talked and we studied God's word together and I prayed and got back on track and headed in the right direction with God renouncing the occult. Friends, if you were an authentic follower of Jesus you've got to be alert to the fact that you are an enemy of the evil one whose agenda is to destroy your Christian faith. And you've got to be prepared to resist. And the way to prepare, the way to resist, well, I'd like to suggest a couple of key tools of what we might better call weapons that the Apostle Paul used that we need to be familiar with that will give us overcoming power to deal with the schemes of the evil one. If you really take up, if you you learn how to use these two weapons, these two tools, it will make a huge difference in your life, including your day-to-day battles. Going back to the words of Paul from this letter to the Ephesians that we read at the start of the message, there's some real practical stuff for you in these words as you do battle with the unseen world. One, first off is simply pray. Our battle begins with prayer. Prayer has to become a significant activity in our lives. Prayer is the first weapon we need to learn how to use. After describing armor and weapons that we are to use for this battle, Paul then says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Friends, you simply, you cannot battle the dark powers that are there and actively at work unless prayer is a priority in your life. That means you set aside specific time for prayer and then you pray spontaneously throughout your day. What the Apostle Paul is actually saying here is that Christians do not need to worry about evil because we know how to pray. Do you get that? We do not need to worry about evil because we know how to pray. It really is that simple. Prayer simply arms us for the battle. It is the most effective tool that God gives us. Prayer. When we pray in the Spirit, when we're listening to the Spirit. And Paul tells us that we pray with all kinds of prayers because... Quite frankly, there is no exact formula on how to pray. I know there are teachers out there who think there are right ways to pray, but Paul wants us to pray. However, so we pray all kinds of prayers on all occasions, being led by the Spirit as we pray, and we keep praying, and it works. It really does. And about that not getting amped up about evil, Apostle John says the same thing, reminds us that we don't need to worry about evil because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So there's just no need to get all uptight about this. If you pray in the Spirit, you know you're listening for the Spirit to lead you. If your life is surrendered to the Spirit, you don't have to get uptight and fear because the power of prayer and the power of the Spirit who's in you will overcome the power of the evil one. It really is that simple. It's a promise of God to you. The second tool or weapon is simply Uh, that helps us prepare ourselves for the battle is just to put on spiritual armor that Paul describes. And I just want to look at a couple of the pieces that really are do the same thing, what I think are maybe the two most important pieces. And Now, some teachers try to turn this into a gimmick. They mean well. They really do. But from my perspective, they might be just missing what Paul's trying to do here. To help you grasp what Paul is doing, what he's saying, let's just consider the context of when Paul is writing this. He's in prison because of his faith in Jesus when he wrote this. And he wasn't just in prison. No, he was chained 24 hours a day to a Roman centurion. This does not sound like fun, right? Chained to a guy 24 hours a day. I suspect that they you know, may have taken shifts. It probably wasn't the same guy, but same guy, Paul, right? And so he's got this guy chained to him and he's writing about how to engage the invisible war that we are in, how to do battle with the unseen world. And, and he looks up and he sees this fully dressed Roman centurion and he goes, ah, I can use that as a great illustration. Preachers do that. you know. We're always looking for illustration, right? I can compare every part of what a soldier wears in his weaponry and, and make a spiritual parallel to things in your life that are being pulled down. Friends, even if it's not the devil and the demonic directly attacking you straight on, this is how you prepare yourself. This is how you guard yourself against any stuff that messes your life up, things that we're going to talk about in this series called Fight. In this Fight series, we'll touch on things like depression, despair, defeat, doubt, difficulty, uh, suicidal thoughts, PTSD, and all the things that get you down and seek to destroy your life. Well, we're going to tackle some of those issues in the weeks to come and it's complex, I know but this is part of how we fight and and, hey I don't want to deal glibly with mental illness in a broken world we are broken people and our full healing will not come until eternity but we can fight this is how we fight we can gain some victory and for the record I'm not saying that all these things are always demonic attacks although the demonic can exploit them and sometimes cause them And Jesus does tell us that the evil one, the thief, comes only to kill, to steal, and kill and destroy. But a lot of what we're up against in this world, what you and I are up against, we're simply broken people living in a broken world and we're waiting for the new world that Jesus has promised us. But still, we can and we will fight. And what I want us to understand is that this armor that the Apostle Paul talks about helps us fight, whether the battles are direct confrontations with the evil one or not, because our battles are rooted in living in a broken, sin-wrecked world as broken, sin-wrecked people. So the list Paul gives us is powerful, and we're not going to unpack it all today. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes with the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, they are metaphors for what it means to walk in the spirit to be filled with the spirit to be empowered by the spirit they are metaphors for what it means to be saved to have jesus living in us again i don't have time to unpack them all individually but what i want to do is zero in and two of these tools are weapons the belt of truth as well as the sword of the spirit both of these weapons are all about god's word the bible I just think it's it's hugely significant that the list of armor starts with the truth which is found in the Bible and ends with the word of God which is found in the Bible. And so God's word, the Bible, is described as a belt and a sword. The weapons start and end with God's word. That's huge. So let's talk about the belt first. Think of the belt like this. If you've ever watched weightlifters and bodybuilders, they often wear one heavy belt not unlike a centurion. They cinch it up around their waist. It gives them support and stability. It's it what holds them together. And, and the first thing that a centurion would put on would be his belt. It was not only strengthening his core, the center of his being, but it also held the weapons he was wearing as he went into battle. Now, if any of you are into the shooting sports, and I'm always looking for excuses for illustrations like this, you know that. But anyways, in ipsic handgun shooting or three-gun Your tactical belt is a critical piece of equipment that has to be strong because it holsters your handgun, your multiple magazines, and other gear, and hey, it holds your pants up with all that stuff too. So the Apostle Paul is just saying that the belt of truth, the truth of God's word, gives your life stability. It gives your life strength. It's like building your life on the rock. And then the last piece of armor is also the truth of God's word, the the sword of the Spirit. Because, you know, truth found in God's word is simply powerful. As a sword, it just cuts and slices and dices through lies and deceptions that hold us in bondage. Jesus describes the truth of his teaching. He, he, He talks about the truth found in the Bible this way. If you hold to my teaching, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and what? The truth will set you free. So how do we hold on to the teaching of Jesus and experience that truth that sets us free, that that truth that centers and stabilizes our lives, that helps us overcome the work of the evil one? We do it by being saturated with the Bible. We need to be Bible-reading or Bible-listening freaks. We need to be Bible-study freaks. I don't know how else to put it. We've just got to get into the Bible as much as we can. The New Testament in particular. Start with the Gospels. Get into the book of Acts and then the letters. Let the stories of Jesus, the Gospels, just saturate you. It is only when we're saturated with the Bible that we can detect the lies and the deceptions of the evil one. It's only when we know our Bible that we can take it as a sword and use it as a powerful weapon against the schemes of the evil one. I mean, how did Jesus deal with the devil? The Apostle Matthew in his gospel, in his account of the life of Jesus, gives us the story of Jesus being tempted by the devil. And how did Jesus deal with the lies of the devil? He quoted scripture back at the devil. You can check it out for yourself. It's found in Matthew chapter 4. Friends, the only way, the only way that you will know victory in the Christian life is by regularly studying the principles of God's word and getting to church regularly for the study of God's word, getting to a small group, a life group, to study God's word. That way you'll be ready to apply God's truth uh, whenever the world, the flesh, and the devil choose to attack. So prayer. And putting on the armor of God, and the armor in particular that we're talking about is being saturated in God's word, the Bible. Prayer and God's Word, these are, I think, the two most important tools or weapons that we can use to live well and stand strong in a world with dark and visible realities that seek to harm us. As we wrap up, I, I had a staff member at my last church who was at a conference at a, with a well-known Bible teacher by the name of John Ortberg. And he texted me in the middle of the conference saying, Hey, Doug, John Ortberg says we don't have to do a quiet time. Ha! Now, I'm really big into quiet times, and so was putting a little pressure on the staff team that they needed to be big into quiet times. Okay. I understand that the Bible does not specifically command that we should have a quiet time where we pray and read the Bible every day or as often as possible. But when it comes to the battles that we fight every day, the practice of a quiet time is huge. It's a practice that will help you stand firm in in an evil world. It will. And as a side thought, this is kind of me. When the Apostle Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you will take your stand against the devil's schemes, when do you think is the best time of day to get spiritually dressed for battle? Morning or evening? Just seems to me to be morning, okay? Get up a little earlier in the morning. Yeah, I know, four you think, uh uh-huh. And, and, hey, you can do this on the bus for those of you who bust to work, but you get up and you sit down and you pray and you put this armor on, you pray, you read God's word because you're getting ready to go into battle. But really, any time you can find to just connect with God in a quiet time is awesome. Evening before the next day starts is awesome. Lunchtime, if that works for you, I just encourage you to spend time that way every day. And I, I just happen to think if you can do it in the morning, that's awesome. Prayer, praying in the spirit, listening for the spirit as you pray and God's word, reading the Bible and listening to the spirit as you read the Bible. I actually journal what I hear God saying. Uh, this truly prepares you to do life with, the over, just with overcoming power, right? So that you live life to the full as a gracious barbarian. And really, it's not that tough. It, it's pretty basic, but you got to do it. You just got to do it and it changes your life. Would you join me in time of prayer and pray with me as we ask God to be with us, as we pray and read his word and experience the victory he desires for each of us in the battles we're up against. So let's pray. Father God, yeah. I simply commit every person in this room to your care right now, praying that every person here would be given the courage to make the decision, whatever that is that needs to be made right now. Maybe that question is just to be committed to have a quiet time. Maybe that commitment is a life group. God, just whatever it is, I pray people would be willing to make a decision. Fill us anew with the Holy Spirit who gives us courage to do whatever business with you that needs to be done. Give people here courage to go and allow our prayer team to pray with them or just sit here for a while at the end of the service. Just, God, would, would we allow you to do the work you want to do in our lives? I pray that we will all be open to how you are leading us with your Spirit, that we would go from here with a commitment to pray in the Spirit, to to listen to you throughout our day and to become people of the Word who read and hang on to the truth of your Word, that we get into not just church on Sundays regularly, but time with you through quiet time and even small group time. For those who might not know you yet personally, Lord, I pray. I pray that you will lift any blinders that the evil one has on them right now that that they would they would take a moment and and just right now maybe admit their need of your um, express their belief in you commit to following you by praying, reading your word and being part of a local church. And by the way, if that's something God is prompting you to do, you just know I've never really gotten on board with following Jesus. I've held off but I feel the prompting just just Tell them, admit it right now and ask them into your life right now even as I'm praying. God, I simply pray that you would be at work in all of our hearts and minds for the transformation and healing of lives for the glory of your name. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.